I think that's the first thing that every young new agent tries to do because branding is kind of the thing. You know, I guess I never had to think about that because my business grew, you know, with my experience and my name got out there and so people knew me. I, right. I really never had to focus on a branding campaign. But I know people do it now and, you know, their whole businesses, that's all they do is try to brand you. I mean, obviously it's important that people know your name. Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcast, the Titans of Real Estate, the show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. Our next guest is one of the most recognized and respected names in luxury real estate worldwide, having represented some of the most significant, distinguished, and historical estates from around the globe. With four decades of experience, over $4 billion in career sales, and a revered industry status, she continues to build upon her legacy in real estate with unwavering passion, integrity, and commitment. It's an honor to welcome to the show, Joyce Ray. Thank you so much, Warren. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> so, Joyce, we have a lot to cover in your distinguished career. But first, I want to hear about your formidable years growing up. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California. I'm a native through and through. I was born in Hollywood, raised in Santa Ana, California. My father was a wonderful lawyer, a pillar of the community, president of the Board of Education. And my mom sewed my cheerleading skirts. So I had the idyllic middle-class upbringing. Wow, that's cool. I mean, and did you get in any kind of trouble when you were a kid? Any sort and of... No, as a matter of fact, I was eager to please <laughs> and always to do the right thing. And I studied hard in school and earned a scholarship to USC. So Joyce, did you have any early career aspirations early on before you went to school? Like when I grew up, I want to be a so-and-so. No, I don't think so. I know a lot of kids do make up their mind, but I never was sure what I wanted to do. I made a few speeches in high school. I was part of the speech club, I think. And I was student body treasurer in high school and silver ball queen or something. I really didn't know. I Actually, I started at USC with an undecided major. I had no idea. I was in letters, arts, and sciences. And in the first month at USC, as a scholarship student, my father died very unexpectedly of a heart attack, which mm. was the, of course, biggest crisis of my life. And that really jolted me into the reality of the need to support myself. So I immediately transferred the next semester into the business school, thinking that was the practical choice. And of course, in those days, in the early 60s, very few women were in the business school at USC. I think there were only a half dozen of us in the whole school. But I felt that was the practical road to supporting myself. And in addition, besides being a business major, I minored in education because, of course, all women in those days became school teachers. 
So I felt that was the other important background for me to have. And at that time, there was a shortage of business teachers in the Los Angeles Unified School District and so, and throughout the state. And they were offering a special secondary lifetime credential to people who would teach business at the high school level. And so that was ideal for me because I could do it in a four-year time period because most secondary teaching credentials required a five-year studies. So in four years, I was able to teach high school. And I immediately went into South Central Los Angeles and taught business law, business English, and business principles. So USC, here's what's interesting, Joyce. I've been in this space for about 10 years, working with the best agents like yourself. And here's the commonality that I find. A lot of the very, very top performers are USC graduates. Oh, really? Really? What? Like, what's the deal with USC and, and being a top real estate performer? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I love my years at USC. And I actually went, while I was teaching, I went to graduate school and got my master's degree at night. So I, I do have a master's degree in business education from USC. But I don't know many other realtors who actually... Yeah, it's, it's very Went interesting. USC. When college comes up, a lot of them at USC. It's just really, yeah. It's, well, it's, USC is a great university. Needless yeah, to say, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So, I love this story. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you met your former husband, Argentine-born movie star Alejandro Rey, while moonlighting as a flight attendant on a trip to Acapulco. Right? Are you doing like a little vacation? That is correct. You got it right. But I was not working the flight. I was. Working, I was teaching school and working. The airline had a special program for school teachers to fly on holidays. Ah. And so I was part of that initial program, chosen for that program. And I had earned a flight pass. So I was not working the flight. Okay. I was, it was Thanksgiving. And the, I was taking the Thanksgiving holiday off and going to Acapulco for the weekend. Okay. And he moved his seat from first class to tourist to sit next to me. <laughs> And asked me out, and I turned him down. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so how did it, when did you say yes? Well, actually, it's a funny story because I got off the airplane and went to my hotel and called some friends, and they were busy that night. And he had asked me out, and I had turned him down. But he said, well, if you change your mind, you know, call me. I'm at this hotel. And so since my friends weren't available that night... And I was sitting by the bar in my hotel. A woman and her husband invited me to join them. She said, gosh, I saw you getting off the airplane with Alejandro Ray. And I said, yes, that's right. He actually asked me out for tonight. And she said, and you didn't accept? And I said, no. And she said, why, he's the most eligible bachelor in Hollywood. And so I quick ran to the phone. (laughs) I called him. He said, you have to be here in 20 minutes. It's the opening of the Acapulco Film Festival, and the limousine is picking me up. And so I was at his hotel 20 minutes later, and that was our first date. Oh, what a great story. Now, here's what's interesting. You, Is it true? So when you came back to LA with him, when you guys were looking for homes, your first home, that's what sparked your interest in real estate. Is that that right? That is true. While we were engaged, he had actually bought a house. And so I was obviously a struggling school teacher living in a tiny little apartment. And all of a sudden, he loved houses. He had a great design talent, a great knowledge of antiques and art. That was kind of his avocation. So he taught me a great deal. And he decided to make a move 
right away. And so all of a sudden, as a young bride, I was thrown into this house hunting process and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So yes, it definitely sparked my interest. And I actually studied for my real estate license with the thought that it would be a wonderful set of knowledge for me to have because we seem to be moving frequently. Mm -hmm. Makes practical sense. Yeah. So, and you started in 1973, your real estate career. Yeah, that's correct. That's the year that I obtained my real estate license, but I officially went to work in 1974. Okay. Who did you who did you hang your license with? The first five years of my real estate career was with a small boutique office by the name of Jack Hupp. And he's the man that wrote the Code of Ethics for the Beverly Hills Realty Board. He was president of the Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary. And he was he was a wonderful human being and he really taught me the real estate business. That's great. And your first sale was to Christina Onassis. That's correct. Which is that's well, actually, quite a first sale, actually, Joyce. It wasn't to her. <laughs> I sold her house okay. to the former student body president of the USC Law School. Ah, that's He'd a- gotten out of school and been very successful and was house hunting. I think the house was $129,000. And I sold him the house. So how, do you remember how much business you did in your first year? Oh, gosh, no, but not that much. Was it a slow start for you? Like, okay, yes, we did a- it was very slow. I started out partnering with someone, and I also worked another job at the beginning. And then when I went into it full time, I think that first year, I hardly sold anything. I think I leased a couple of houses. I hardly sold anything that first year. But what happened in that first year was that I made a lot of contacts. I showed a lot of houses. Somebody would go and look and then decide they weren't going to move. And then they'd recommend me to their friends or whatever you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it was. And then it started to snowball in the second year. And I think it was the second or third year that I sold Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg was probably the most revered acting teacher at the time. There's still the Lee Strasberg Institute where actors go to study acting. Lee was responsible for what they called the method acting. Mm -hmm. And he was very plugged into the Hollywood community. And He, unbeknownst to me, had been looking for a house for 10 years or however long it was. And, of course, somebody said, well, Alejandro's wife is a new realtor. Maybe you should call her. So I talked to them. I chit-chat. And by coincidence, I had just heard about a house that wasn't on the market. And I took him there and I sold him the house. And he thought I was the biggest genius because I had shown him one house and it was a house of his dreams. So, you know, that really propelled my career because all of a sudden everyone in Hollywood was, thought I was the genius of real estate and I was still really learning the business. So, so that answers my next question, which was, was there a defining moment? Maybe that was your, hey, this this could work really well. No, it really was. And it, it was, I think it was maybe my second year, the end of my second year in the business, but it was just, and his he had a lovely wife, Anna Strasberg, and a lovely young family. And they still own that. She still owns that wow. house to this day. That's uh-huh. great. So mid-70s, what does a marketing campaign look like for one? And second would be, what's real estate like for your own personal marketing look like? Well, first of all, marketing was non-existent in those days. (laughs) Our ads amounted to a two-line classified ad in the Los Angeles Times. We never photographed our listings. There was no real estate photography to speak of. And I never made a brochure in those days. 
So branding, marketing, nothing. Wasn't there. Well, absolutely and it was, wasn't even there. The, how would one figure out even what was for sale? I mean, Well, we did have a multiple listing service. You had a book, and, right? In like those a- days, we had notebooks on our desks. And each week, we would get from the MLS these little single small page fact sheets of whatever was new on the market. And then we would personally file them in the notebooks on our desk. It's amazing. So just think, I mean, and... How many years? How many decades? It's like how much the world has changed now. And like we had we had these forms. I had a blank form, and I would type the contingencies on that one form, and that was it. With carbon paper, because we didn't even have a Xerox machine at the very beginning. So I would use carbon paper, and I would I would write the contract myself. And I heard you did something very strategic back in the late seventies. So. Didn't you start like one of the first sort of luxury yes. estates, in, like I was million approached. dollar plus? There was a, at the time in the late seventies, there was one large, very large company on the West side. And the name of the company was Harley Sandler company. And they had offices everywhere. And they really came up with the idea. And Harley approached me because in 1978, I doubled the price that anyone had paid for a house. And it was $4.2 million. And prior to that, the highest sale was $2 million. How'd you do that? Well, I sold the Sonny and Sharon mansion in 1976. And I sold it for $1.2 million, which was huge news back then. $1.2. The, the median price of... Uh... <laughs> $1.2 million, 1976. Now, those people made some renovations to the Sonny and Share estate, named it Owlwood, and then put it back on the market. But they put it back on the market with the proviso that I was to tell no one about it. No other agent should know that it was on the market. And of course, there wasn't much advertising we did in those days anyway, but it certainly wasn't to go in the MLS. And I was to sell it for $4.2 million. And I thought they'd lost their minds because nothing had ever sold for four point two. And I was supposed to keep this house top secret and sell it at the biggest price in the world at the time. I mean, nothing had sold for $4 million. So by coincidence, along comes a buyer. And this buyer, he was from the Mideast, the first Mideastern buyer that I had ever met. He came in, he fell in love with the property, and he bought that property in 1978 for $4.2 million. Amazing. So no one could believe it at the time. And it was such a huge deal. And that's what sparked Harley Sandler's mind about starting a company that only handled million-dollar houses. So he approached me because I had done what no one had ever done in the world. And he said, I want you to start this special company. We'll name it Rodeo Realty. And we will only handle million-dollar houses. Will you leave Jack Hupp? and come and work with me and build this company. Well, it was an unbelievable offer. And I was really hesitant to go because I was so fond of Jack, but I had made some suggestions about changing the office and making it more progressive and getting a public relations firm to kind of advertise what it was we were doing. I mean, I had a lot of ideas at the time. And, you know, he had been doing business his way all these years. And, you know, change was not on the horizon. And when I realized that, I decided to make the move and start this new company, which I did in 1979. 
very strategic and really innovative at the time. I mean, no no one was thinking... It made worldwide news. I mean, there was actually a photograph of me in the London Times saying there's a company that only handles million dollar... I mean, no one in the world could believe there was a company that was doing this. Uh, That's that's so cool to hear. Speaking of Owlwood, it's remarkable that you've represented some of the most iconic and landmark properties ever sold in the U.S., I mean, Owlwood, Pickfair, and you sold, was that to the late That was, Jerry I Buss? represented the Mary Pickford estate. Right. And yes, I sold it to Jerry Buss. I believe that was in 1980, right after I started Rodeo Realty. And you ended up selling Owlwood twice, right? Both for records. Yes. Historic Green. Well, the first time I sold it, it belonged to Sonny and Sharon. It was not titled Owlwood. It was, it was right. the people that the, bought yeah, it. Yeah, they branded it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Green Acres, the Harold Lloyd Estate. Yes, I sold that to uh, Ted Field. And which is, God, what a, I mean, these homes were just so fabulous, so fabulous and amazing. Le Bel- Belvedere, you sold twice, right? Yes, I sold. Well, when I sold it in 2010, it was the highest sale in the United States yeah. at the time. Which was? $50 million. $50 million. And then the famed, of course, Chartwell Estate, just to name... A few, Joyce. It's like so. <laughs> well, the Chartwell Estate, I must say, that was an extraordinary. Working on that property, every time I drive in the driveway, my heart would just soar because it was it, the the driveway in was almost a quarter of a mile. So you know, you drove this winding, and then all of a sudden, this magnificent limestone villa appeared. It's just it you was, know the the stories these homes could tell, right? You As have, if the walls could talk. <laughs> if the walls could talk, oh my gosh, it'd be, we wouldn't need any more like TV series. We could just watch Endless with all the notable figures that built these and, and, and you know, lived there. Do you have any memorable stories in selling these or representing them or even just touring them for the first time? Were you, were you always awestruck? Was it always like a blown away experience? Oh my gosh, this house, this house. Well, you know... When you make a deal and you know it's the biggest deal that anyone's made, as a realtor, that's your high. Right. You know, once you've done that, and I've had the good fortune to do it a number of times, it's a thrill. It's like winning an Oscar. Exactly. You you could be like called the Meryl Streep of uh, uh, <laughs> of real estate, Joyce. What do you think? Can I, I coin like that? It. Can I, I like coin it? it? <laughs> and this is probably unfair, but do you have an all-time favorite or they're all your favorites? It's hard really for me to say because they're like your children almost. Because yeah. you you show them many times and you love every inch of them. And I don't know, I really, I couldn't say that I have a favorite. So all these homes you've stepped inside and had the pleasure of representing either buyer on the buy or sell side. You've been doing it for many years. Does it ever get old? Do you ever walk into a No, it really a, doesn't. One, one of the great advantages of the real estate profession is that each day is different. And it, you really live by your wits. It's You've got to know the inventory. You have to know the clientele. You have to know what they want. You have to always be available to them and always put their best interest first. It's always a challenge. And for me, it's always fun. I mean, if you don't love what you do, that's the great gift. And Steve Jobs said it, but I knew it long before Steve Jobs came along. And I'm really lucky that I stumbled into this business, really. I've just loved every moment of it. It's such a great story. And I'm just curious, for owners of these homes, these mega historic homes, when they're hiring an agent to represent them, do they care more about experience, like your marketing plan? 
Marketing plan is very important today. There are very few sellers that don't ask for that. And I know it's changed, obviously, over the years, right? But like experience, marketing plan, and like your network. What do you think is today is the most important? Well, the network is important. And I think the reason that many people call me and want me to represent them is that I do. I mean, I've built a network over 40 years. and It's all three, though, right? I mean, your experience and your... Exactly, plan. and I between the the worldwide reach of Cowell Banker and the strength of our company, and the fact that I head the luxury division here, those are a lot of strengths that I offer a seller, and my track record, which is impeccable. <laughs> it's remarkable, and really, I mean, it's just preparing for this podcast and just reviewing sort of some of your history. I was just like still amazed. I mean, you've got four decades of of experience in selling real estate. You've really seen it all. I mean, if you think about it, you've gone through, you know, with real estate, at least five recessions. Well, the toughest one was in the 80s with the 15% interest and rate. Just crazy high interest rates. I bet, yeah. You couldn't sell a house unless the owner carried at a decent rate. Yeah. And the decent rate back then was 7 8%. I mean, today right. people would right. have a heart attack if they yeah, had to pay that. Yeah, that was a killer rate. I got yeah. seven and a half. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's... And, but, but that was attractive because the banks were charging way more. You know, you should, here's, you could go back to teaching and you could teach real estate. If you you get bored, Joyce. I could. I mean. (laughs) And then the savings and loan crisis also, you know, in the 90s was a really tough time. And then, yep. And then you had the mortgage meltdown. And then we had the. the, 9-11. I mean. In the 9-11, we didn't sell a house for 30 days. And then the most recent big recession was also very painful. Well, and today, not to get too timely, um, but it's the coronavirus is obviously exactly. I, making headlines. I, no one is too sure what that's going to look like or be like, but we're obviously concerned and trying to hope for the best and plan for the worst. <laughs> Absolutely. And today, just for context for our audience, today is February 26, 2020, just for context. There's a lot of Chinese investment, a lot of international buyers that come to Southern California. Are you starting to hear or feel... Things are going to change rapidly because of the coronavirus and just, you know, not today and next well, week, but for months and years. Well, the truth is that the coronavirus has largely hit mainland China. And that those people have been having trouble getting their money out anyway. Any sizable transfer out of mainland China has been pretty difficult for a while. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong Chinese generally are, are better able to move their money out. And they've been experiencing problems with the democracy movement there. But they they are a good part of our buying community. I mean, I think they're the single largest foreign. Mm -hmm. But the majority are Americans that buy. I think we calculated on properties in excess of $20 million, 70% were local and 30% were foreign. But that was Europeans, Mideastern, Chinese Malaysian, all over the Orient. Very interesting statistic, yeah. Talk about all the change in the industry. I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years, and from where I, my vantage point, which is not near where yours is, I look at like, I mean, I think real estate has changed as an industry more in the last 10 years, probably than the last 30 combined. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, it's exponential. It, you, you know, the change is so rapid. What's the, sort of the good, bad, and ugly? What do you think has been the most dramatic change or that has affected on the real estate side and, and the seller or buyer side? What do you what do you think? Anything come to mind that's been... Well, the avalanche of paperwork. I mean, it's digital, but it's still, you know, it's astronomical. <laughs> and then, of course, social media 
which I have fun with because I love my Instagram account. <laughs> Joyce Ray Real Estate. Can I make a plug? Do it. <laughs> Joyce Ray Real Estate is my Instagram account. See Joyce and all her lovely estates on Instagram. I'm, I'm hoping to get 100,000 followers. I think I'm at around 82,000 right now. All right. Well, after we share this podcast, you'll be there. <laughs> good. It'll be good. The digital disruption is obvious, the implications, but I'm just curious, like, from the client side, too, have their needs changed? Because they've gotten more sophisticated, obviously. Much more sophisticated. I mean, a buyer comes to you today, and they half the time they know more than you do. I mean, they've looked at their whatever it is they're looking for specifically everywhere. And often buyers will come and say, here are the five houses I want to see. Well, of course, that never used to happen. And you mentioned marketing plans being important today. But like in the 70s, 80s, and probably early 90s, sellers probably didn't say, let me see your marketing plan, right? They probably were just more like, Get my household. Not as much, not yeah. as much. But now, of course, photography has become critical because how the house looks on the internet is one of the most important things. Yeah. So you need a really good photographer and you need to be very selective about your photography and you need to make sure that it's on every avenue. Your testimonials are very impressive, by the way. I mean, not only what past clients are saying about you, but but who is saying it. I mean... A few of your past clients include Grammy Award-winning artist Lionel Richie. Oh, Lionel is one of my favorite clients. And the former chair CEO of Paramount Studios, past president of Playboy, Inc., chairman and CEO of Colony Capital, and award-winning producers, just to name a few. It just It's crazy that you work with that A-list type group, right? I mean... I am so fortunate, Warren, to have these great clients. You know, and that is what makes my work a joy is lovely, sincere people that are just a pleasure. Are they, this group though, very select, very affluent, obviously celebrity, are they more demanding to work with? I don't think so. No. Sometimes they're way nicer than people that aren't celebrities. (laughs) Is is there any other distinguished qualities among them? Like anything else? Are they lower stress or higher? You'd think it'd be higher stress and more demanding just because they're busy, they're in demand, they're Well, it is sometimes hard with some of my most celebrated clients. It's true to get them to focus Mm -hmm. and to get in on their schedule. That is true. So what kind of advice would you give? I mean, getting to this level takes a lot of, obviously, tenacity, experience, all these things. But if there was a new agent starting out saying, hey, Joyce, I want to be just like you. I want to represent Lionel Richie and all these A-list people. What would you recommend for them to do? Like if that was their thing, they wanted to be this A-list agent. Well, I can tell you the story of how I met Lionel. Please. I was with a colleague at, I believe it was Teach for America, which is a wonderful organization that takes college graduates that did not study to become teachers and allows them to teach in slum areas and in rural areas where they have a shortage of teachers. It's called Teach for America. And you agree, I think, to teach for several years. It's a wonderful. And I'm involved in a lot of philanthropy. And this is something that I've supported over the years. So they had closed down Rodeo Drive. And there was a huge event for Teach for America. And I was had supported that and attended that. And I was waiting for my car at the conclusion of the event. And Lionel was standing next to me. And we started chatting. And he talked about how he might want to move. And I said, well, that's fantastic. I'm a realtor and I'd love to help you move. 
So the next day we were looking at his house and the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) Fortuitous to say the least, right? Timing is everything. Well, here's where we're connected to Lino. I have seen his house. Oh, it's such a beautiful from, house. I forget which hole of oh, the, the Bel Air Country Club. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's my only claim to Lino. But yeah, it's magnificent from from the golf course view. Right. So let's talk about these crazy deals that have been happening in LA recently. I mean, there's been a slew of mega deals recently. I mean, even just a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Bezos and Geffen, the estate for $165 million, which is a new record? Yes, that's the new record. I've found over the years that whenever you make a record, it's broken often very quickly. In this case, it was really fast because we closed Chartwell in December, and it, what, it was a, barely two months later. And that was a record, right? Chartwell? That was a record at the <clears throat> time. And that was, what, 135 <laughs> Well, I'm not supposed to say because oh. I signed an NDA. Okay, sorry. The list price was 195 Okay, so... I won't say either. But then you had the spelling manner for what was 120 million, I think. No, I didn't sell that personally. Our company did, but I was not personally involved in. Yeah, the I'm just speaking manner. generally. Just all oh, these, just these deals in market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had the Malibu State, the Ron Meyer for 100 million, the Bel Air Spec Home that was once listed for 250 million that sold for like 94. Correct. Bezos just bought another parcel of land, right, for 90. Yes, million? the Paul Allen property, which was the whole top of Benedict Canyon. Wow. And then you've got this, the one which is being developed. Yes, that's a spectacular property. So what do you think the price is going to be on that? Like, they still talk about $500 million, but what's realistic? Well, they haven't officially set the prices yet on that. And are you, who's getting the listing? Is Joyce Ray getting the listing? Well, needless to say, I would love to represent him. <laughs> How do you set the price on something like that? Well, when you're in uncharted territory, it's obviously difficult. You kind of feel your way and you look at all the other sales and you try to be as realistic as possible, but you never know. I mean, back when I sold that house in 1978 for 4.2, no one would have thought I could do that. So it's always hard to know. Yeah. I mean, the comps really don't factor in at that level. I mean, because there's so few, number one. Exactly. And the few that sell, it's really not what's really relative worth when somebody wants something. It's like a piece of art, like an auction. If they're going to pay 50 times what the last person paid for it because they want it, then that's the value. That's the market value because someone bought it, right? That's right. So it's interesting. But it's this is why I think at this level, what you guys do is is very difficult. It's a whole nother degree of difficulty that's entered in because you you sort of become... You've got to create the need around the price, like the story behind the price, because you're. it's impossible just to analytically come to a conclusion. You just don't have the, the logical process that an appraiser goes right. through, typically. Right. That's what I meant to say. Interesting, on the Bezos-Geffen deal, they didn't use a real estate agent. Well, apparently they knew one another. But do you think there's anything more to it? Do you think that if other big players know each other? Do you think they're going to want to go without yeah, a real estate agent? Yeah, it happens rarely. Very rarely. It happens occasionally. In fact, when David bought the property from the Warner estate, he bought it direct. Ironically. But I don't know of another major deal that's happened like that. And of course, David bought that back in the 1990. Yeah. So... Um, this is an interesting. I just thought that was like, oh, that's interesting. Not that it's Going to set a precedent or anything, but just thought it was interesting because at this end, this high end, they're, I'm sure they're negotiating. It's a flat fee type thing, commission, or how does it work? No, when you get to- it, there's a commission percentage paid. 
commissions are negotiable. Yeah. So uh, how about back in when you that's sold? That's the one part I don't like negotiating. <laughs> right. I don't like to negotiate right. my commissions. But yes. We have it in bold print in our contracts. They are negotiable, but don't mess with Joyce. <laughs> how negotiable was it back when you sold Sunny and Cher's house in, in the 70s? Not at all. Was it 7% back then? or? Oh, no, no. We never got 7%. At the beginning of my career, there were 6% commissions. Okay, so 6 it's always been 6, six. But I, I, you know, I, it's funny. That's so long ago, I don't really remember. I do remember in 1978, we started arguing about a statue. And I ended up buying that statue in order to close the deal. Really? Mm-hmm. But that was the only concession that was made on the commission. Back to these prices, like... It's hard to say what the new norm is. Like we keep breaking and, and we're in a bit of a bubble here in LA, right? Beverly Hills. And I mean, the, where we are, we're in Beverly Hills right now. We're on Cannon, a golden triangle, right? Yes. In um, a beautiful spot. A beautiful. Here. In your new office, Joyce. Uh, um, we have a gorgeous new office. The pricing seems, I mean, I'm getting numb to the fact that like this deal, like 20 million used to be pretty cool. 25, 30, 35, 50. Oh my gosh. Now we're over hundred. And coming up on the one, which is going to be probably north of 200, right? Who knows? But like, what are your thoughts there? Well, when you look at the tremendous rise in real estate values, it is staggering. I did a news interview, I think back in the 90s. And the interview was said that the $10 million house, as if that was unbelievable, and one of the news people made the comment, well, one day a house will be worth a billion dollars. And they thought that was a big joke. <laughs> well, maybe not so. Not, not so, so far big. off. Not so far. We're he- definitely heading that way. And the market seems to be strong so far. Yes, right? very good. Especially it started, at the, the last quarter was very strong for luxury real estate. We've started off very strong the beginning of this year. What's the coolest international home you sold? I don't know that I've ever actually, I've made an attempt, but I have never actually closed a house outside of the United States. Really? That's that's something I wouldn't have guessed. No, I haven't. I, I worked on a beautiful property on the Mexican coast, a beautiful acreage near an area called Correas, Mexico, okay. an estate called Las Rosadas, which was incredible. And it also had a subdivision. And it is right near the Cheval Blanc that Louis Vuitton plans to build down there. And it was just a spectacular place. I have not been successful. I've not been at the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. on properties that I've worked on outside of the United States. Well, it must be difficult. I mean, just because... Well, you obviously sell what you know best, which is obviously, for me, Southern California. Yeah. Mexico, by the way, has got some crazy nice developments going on too. I mean, a lot of wealth moving moving there as well with real estate. Marketing and branding in real estate, Joyce, that's one of my favorite topics. What are your thoughts on personal branding for agents and its importance today? Well, I think that's the first thing that every young new agent tries to do because branding is kind of the thing. So, you know, I guess I never had to think about that because my business grew, you know, with my experience and my name got out there. And so people knew me. I I really never had to focus on a branding campaign, but I know people do it now. And, you know, their whole businesses, that's all they do is try to brand you. I mean, obviously it's important that people know your name. 
No, for sure. Well, it's funny you say you've never had to do a branding campaign. You've been doing a branding campaign for 40 years, Joyce. <laughs> this, is what brand, this is what successful branding looks like. So note to agents out there, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes a very long road traveled. But when you do it and you're consistent and you're frequent and you repeat it, the market comes to you. You know, you get into this very special place where your name in the market precedes itself, your reputation. And they associate the market with, I've got a mega listing, historical, iconic listing. Who should I call? Who does this? Oh, Joyce Ray. Let me call her. You become synonymous with that demand. So Thank you. Yeah. Thank and you've done a remarkable job. And it's not easy. I mean, despite, I mean, and you've gone through literally four distinct decades of your world has completely changed on how to do it, like four different times at least, you know? Well, in 2010, I was the first realtor, at least on the west side of LA, to go to China. It was a remarkable experience. And I had a press conference and I had a an event at an art gallery where I projected photographs of all my listings on the walls of the art gallery. And it was a very successful trip and generated business from the Chinese community for me. That's, that's awesome. And from the press conference, they called me the first lady of luxury real estate in the United Ooh, States. You got a fancy name. So that's... I got a very fancy name out of that press conference. I like that. Going back, I mean, we talked in the when you started, it was almost impossible to do marketing because there was no there, dis, was, there was no distribution or access to do it. You could buy a bus bench or, you know, some, I don't think people even did that. Some direct mail, but I'm just saying there wasn't even an opportunity to do any of that come full circle in 2020. There's too much access and too much distribution. And what agents are following prey to, I think is because it's mostly free, you can get online for free. You can start a blog for free. You can get on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. So everyone's sort of overindulging in their branding. They're just pushing too hard to be everywhere, not realizing that there's no quick fix, no shortcut, and it can actually damage your brand by putting too much sort of noise out in the market without a strategy and a purpose. You, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Well, now you will, but you're, you're already safe, Joyce, because you've, you've got a brand. So, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm having fun with it. But it's true. I see it because this is, this is what I love about being, doing what I do and being in the marketing side of, I'm on the opposite side of the coin, but we're together in a sense that we're in this together. So I'm always fascinated by the challenge of building a business in real estate. I'm always fascinated by that challenge. I sold insurance out of college for three years. So I know what it's like. And I've been in sales all my life. So I know what it's like to, to have to, you're out of business every week, every day you get up, you're out of business. Yeah. You, you have, have to, to start it over. You have to start anew. So it's, it's, it's not for the meek and it's hard. Yes. <laughs> I greatly respect easy. it. What do you think is the biggest failure, mistake, or lesson learned in your career? You got to have a few. My biggest mistake. I don't know that I can name my biggest mistake. Any lesson learned or, oops, I wish I didn't have, I, I would have done that differently? Well, I remember once saying to another person in the real estate business, one of my competitors, that a certain client was rather difficult. Well, he immediately repeated that to the client. Ooh. Ouch. And I thought to myself, that was foolish of you to say that in the first place. Yeah. So now I never describe a client as difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how competitive you bring up a point. How competitive LA real estate is. I it's mean, extremely competitive. And it's I think it's sort of funny that 
you know, you've got to play along and you've got to be friendly because you're you're doing deals with with your peers. Well, one minute you're competing against someone for a listing, and the next minute you're trying to make a deal together. Yep. So, so it's, it's it's a fascinating balancing act. It's a new world of frenemies, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> hard to navigate. What would your competitors say about you? Well, that I don't know, but I always try to live by the golden rule. I have all my life, and I think that's really paid off. If you could define your success in three words, what would those be? Hard work, integrity, and strategy. Oh, I like that. So let's talk about you for a minute. Enough about real estate. Finish this sentence for me. I like to do this to kind of have, you know, lighten us up a bit. If I wasn't in real estate, I would love to... Change the world. I could ask how, but I'll ask the next question. If you could invite three people to your dream dinner party, who would be there and what would you serve? Let's see. Well, there's so many people I'd like to invite. And with your Rolodex, who you might offend, right? Because <laughs> we can move on say, from that if you I, don't want to. I, I have <clears throat> to, you know, you know, it's hard to narrow it down. No, I get it. Because there's so many people that I think the world of. Probably the number one person would be Gandhi. Ah. I probably would like him as a number one. That's cool. I also would like to talk to Queen Elizabeth. What would you ask them? We had one question to ask. One dinner question allowed. Joyce, what is it? I'm trying to think of who else I would love to invite. Oh, yeah. The third. Probably Albert Einstein. I don't know how much fun he would be, but he would be certainly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're just, uh, those are three. But I guess a good dinner party is based on the camaraderie of the group yes. you put together. <clears throat> so probably I'd like to have each of them in a separate dinner party and then figuring out the people that would match. Yeah, that would be them. a very yin and yang perfection of a of a party. Answer this question. It's Friday and you have no previously scheduled plans for the evening. What are you doing? I usually always have plans. I'm much too overbooked. But if I didn't have plans and it's a last minute thing, I probably would try to find a yoga class. I always keep my yoga clothes in the trunk just in case. <laughs> Yoga to go. You're you're on the go with yoga. <laughs> That's probably what I would do. <laughs> or I might go to a spa and get a massage. Uh, that always sounds good. What about your favorite place to have dinner in L.A.? Oh, that's impossible. There are a million fabulous ones. Yeah, it is, huh? You have a go-to uh, cuisine, though? Do you like Italian? Do you oh, like- I like everything. Well, right down the street, we have Ibaldi, which is sensational Italian. And a few blocks away, we have the temporary headquarters of Medeo's that many people feel is one of the finest Italian restaurants here. Craig's is a popular watering hole, and all the movie stars go there. And they have that wonderful honey truffle fried chicken that I love. I love crustacean and the tuna cigars. Oh, mm-hmm. they're out of this world. And Mr. Chow's is, it's been here for decades and decades, and it's always such a fun spot. And of course, I love the Soho House at the beach. Oh my gosh, to go there for brunch is fabulous. And of course, Nobu everywhere is sensational. So I don't know. I mean, it's impossible to say. And Giorgio Baldi is <laughs> another spot where it's delish. So there, there's so many wonderful spots. So those of you and that, Wolfgang, you can't beat Wolfgang's yeah. cuisine. We could go on and on. And for those of you traveling or don't live here, you just got the traveler's guide. The <laughs> you just got Joyce Ray's uh, 
Fedor's. Uh, and there's a new restaurant at Gucci that's just opening up. So I haven't tried that yet. Outside of real estate, Joyce, what are you most proud of? Outside of real estate, what am I most proud of? Probably the eight years I spent mentoring a young man from South Central Los Angeles who gave me credit for saving his life. Wow. Because he was about to join a men and when he was 10 years old, and he was about to join a gang. Wow. That's powerful. That's great. And I met him through a wonderful charity, Children Uniting Nations, where they have a carnival every year with foster kids. And this kid was in foster care. And he's grown up today, first person in his family to graduate high school. And he has a job. And he's about to have a baby. Wow. What a great story. Kudos to you. That's, that's great. Thank you. I could also add my position on the executive board for Southern California for UNICEF. That's another passion yeah, of mine. Good Helping stuff. children around the world. Good stuff. You know, you sell real estate for a living. I always like to ask people that do that, where they live? What's their home oh, like? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. I love my house, Warren. I bought it before I became a realtor when I was married to my husband. I've owned it for, I think it's going on 48 years. And I was a person who said I'd never live in a modern house. And I bought, at the time it was a mid-century house. Of course, when I bought it in the 70s, the mid-century, they didn't refer to it as mid-century because we were still almost in the mid-century. But I walked into this house and fell in love with it. It was a, it had won an award in architectural competition when it was built in the early 50s. My husband and I bought it out of the estate of the man who had passed away who built the house. Hmm. And it's an exceptional house, and it's one of a kind. There's nothing like it. And it's kind of a tree house with walls of glass, and it's surrounded by trees, and it has 14-foot ceilings, and it's just really unique, and I love it. It sounds like the Ray Cappy almost kind of no, a house. No, the architect was Smith & Williams. Okay. And they were case study architects, but my house was not a case study house. Is this in Beverly Hills? or it's Yes, in the Beverly Hills Post Office, we call oh, okay. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is remarkable. You've lived in the same house. I've lived in the same house. I've remodeled it several times. Yeah. But I've lived in the same house. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's if really my cool. clients were like me, I'd be out of business. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Don't do what I do. <laughs> sell, sell. Bye, bye. What's your favorite nook of L.A. or city or neighborhood? Well, I feel so much at home in Beverly Hills. You know, yeah. my office is here and, you know, I love it here. There's so much to do here. There's so many good restaurants and things. I mean, this is really, in the beach is close. I mean, it's just... And I love going to Malibu. Yeah. I feel completely relaxed when I look at that ocean. Yeah. I love so the ocean. I enjoy that a lot. But I, I don't get out there often enough, frankly. So tell us a funny, you can't believe it happened story in your career. I'm sure you got a million of those, but like, do any, any come to mind where just a really funny sort of random story... I'm trying to think. A funny story. I should it could have be a funny whole, or weird. I should or, have a basket full of I funny know. stories, right? And some of these back in like the Sonny and Cher, back then was it did you meet the actual oh, celebrities yes. at Oh yes, I mean. So it's not like was it different than today where they have their agents or their attorneys or their you know, like you deal with their people, quote unquote. No, they always had they always had advisors and business managers and so forth. But were they When less I involved? sold the Sunny and Share House, it was supposed to be top secret at the time. I'll never forget. We hadn't even closed escrow. And in those days, we had this scandal sheet called the Inquirer. And it was always at the checkout stand at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I was checking out at the grocery store. And I looked at the cover story. And there was Share 
announcing that she'd sold her house. <laughs> we weren't supposed to talk about it. Oh, well, <laughs> that's great. All right, so some closing thoughts. I could do this the rest of the day, but I want to be sensitive to your time. We have to do it again, though, for sure. So closing thoughts. What's two pieces of advice you would give your younger self? Don't take yourself so seriously. And I think I was more patient when I was younger. So I need to practice more patient. I feel I, as the decades have passed, I've gotten a little more impatient. And that's not a good thing. I think patience is is a key to success in real estate. Yeah. And marketing too. In life, really. I mean... In life. I mean, because it helps with stress and everything else, right? But You know, business is really based on relationships. Yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to. And, you know, I've had so many wonderful relationships with my clients over the years. Absolutely. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? One superpower? To get everyone to be kind to each other. (laughs) I like that. What could you tell the audience? We learned that you're you're yoga on the go. You're always ready for some yoga. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not very often. <laughs> what, what else could you tell the audience that they'd be surprised to know about Joyce Ray? Like, oh my gosh, I would have never imagined Joyce. Well, most people don't know I'm adopted. Oh, okay. I didn't and know And that's either. a whole story in itself. But I'm exceedingly fortunate because I have two families. I have the wonderful family that I grew up with. And I have a wonderful family that I found. As a result, I appeared on 60 Minutes, searching back in, it was right at the time I started in real estate. I think it was around 1974. So I was asked to be on 60 Minutes as the principal person who was searching for their roots. Wow. And at that time, of course, it was very uncommon to do that. Yeah. And of course, there were no computers and 23andMe, et cetera. Anyway, I did successfully seek out information about my birth parents and found a half-brother as a result and am very close to his entire family. So I have my birth family and I have my adoptive family. Wow. So I'm you, that's, really lucky. That's cool. What a story. I had, no, I had no idea. That's amazing. Very cool. Well, Joyce, on that note, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. Of course. You are a true class act and... You know, I'm, I'm so proud of you and what you've done and, and continue to do it. Thank you. So we'll talk and we'll do this again soon. Thanks Great. again. You're welcome, Warren. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time.